Hi, everyone. Trevor here, and uh, I'm with my co-hosts, Jack and Williams. Say hi. Hello. Hi. All right. Um, this is our first episode of a mini-series on the Why Not podcast called Alternate Histories. Um, we will each be presenting our own separate historical moment in time and proposing what would have happened otherwise. So we are asking a question like, what if? Um, so our first episode, which is going to be presented by me, uh, is about the Transcontinental Railroad, the first Transcontinental Railroad specifically. So just over 151 years ago, on May 10th, 1869, the Golden Spike Ceremony was held at Promontory, Utah, to celebrate the completion of the first Transcontinental Railroad. Uh, was it actually gold? It, it was, and um, it was donated. Oh. It, it was around um, 15 carat gold, not quite. Interesting. Like, how... That sounds expensive. Like, well, it was a donation, so... Oh, well, right? <laughs> Waste of gold. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I want to do this in a couple parts. We're going to first talk about the years prior to the ceremony, um, the days around the ceremony, the locomotives, the effects, and ultimately ask the question... What if there was no first transcontinental railroad? Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> so uh, a little bit of context. Uh, America's steam locomotive, its first steam locomotive, made its official debut in 1830. And by 1850, we already had around 9,000 miles of track built, but that was all east of the Missouri River. Uh, this, of course, was around the time of the California Gold Rush and the era of westward expansion. And the only way to travel across the country was either the overland trails uh, or around Cape Horn, which is the tip of South America. So both of those proved very difficult um, ways to travel. Uh, and they took around six months to, to journey, which is a really, really long time. Uh, you know, we complain about plane rides that are more than four hours long. Um, so skipping to the start of the work on the railroad, uh, we had the two companies that were building. Uh, the Union Pacific Railroad built westward from the Missouri River. And the Central Pacific, which was led by the big four, who were um, very rich in America and did not have any prior railroad experience, uh, Charles Crocker, Leland Stanford, Collis Potter Huntington, and Mark Hopkins, um, they started from Sacramento, California. Was Stanford, like, the college? Did he help find the college? Did he find Stanford? it? I, like, did he, like... I have no idea. The... I just you know what, so. Jack? That Stanford, California, probably... Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, All right. So, so the construction of the railroads, um, specifically the Central Pacific, did start prior to 1865, but little was completed before then, 
um, until after the Civil War. And the, the Union Pacific didn't start until 1866. So the government passed a series of um, Pacific Railroad Acts. So these were, the first were introduced in 1862, then 1864, and then 1865. The important ones, in my opinion, are towards the 1864, it was like sections 3 to 11. Um, so I want to touch on that quickly. And basically what that said was that the railroads would build their trackage as well as a telegraph line and meet somewhere in the middle, which was never really stated. That's specific. Um, and it allowed the railroads <laughs> to build on government land, and each company received 6,400 acres of land, so a 10-mile diameter around the tracks, and that was later doubled. Oh, why? Jeez. Well, it gave them an incentive to build more. Mm. Um, and the... Um, the government also gave $48,000 in government bonds for every mile of track laid. Wow. So they were really, really giving a lot of money to these railroads. And of course, you know, between the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific, it's kind of like a race. Whoever, you know, goes farther gets more money. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, they monopolized with lots of cheap labor. Um, there were a lot of Chinese immigrants that were brought in to build the railroad. Um, and, of course, that, that stirred up a lot of racial um, trouble. So if they, they really didn't have a set plan on building the railroad, what if they just, like, <laughs> missed? Uh I mean, well, <laughs> they, they did eventually agree on a meeting point. Uh, okay. The railroads did, though. It wasn't ever stated by the government a specific place. So, so the government wasn't the one planning this. It was the, the railroads funded yes. by the government. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and they had to follow the guideline of, you know, you're, we're paying you to put up rails and to put up a telegraph line and the reason that they were paying them um per mile i i think is an as an incentive to work faster yeah they wanted these to to come as fast as they could and you know they they wanted this route to be done so the two locomotives that were in that famous photo that hopefully you guys have seen and everyone has seen um, yes, yeah. I have seen that photo. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, all you have to look up is Golden Spike Ceremony, and you will get a list on Google of all the same picture. It just goes on and on. Um, Golden Spike. Uh, and, and basically what it was is these two locomotives that were met at the Golden Spike um, they, um, all the people that were there stood on the locomotives and, and they all took one picture. And this was one of the very few photos from, um, from that time of those two locomotives. Uh, and there is a very valid reason for that. Um, 
cool yeah. picture actually. So those two locomotives were the Central Pacific Jupiter, which was numbered 60, and the Union Pacific 119. Now here's the kicker. Neither locomotive was supposed to be there that day. <laughs> Neither of those two were supposed Traveling to be the, the ones in that picture. So so the whole day was wow. really an accident. Um, nice job. <laughs> so we'll talk about Jupiter first. Um, both of these locomotives were of the 440 wheel arrangement, which is titled uh, or, or more commonly referred to as the American type. Uh, and that just means that they have four leading wheels on the leading truck, um, four drivers and no trailing truck. Um, and that just became a standard American locomotive design. And so that's why they call it the American class. Um, gotcha. So uh, the Jupiter was a part of an order of four locomotives out of the Schenectady Locomotive Works in New York State. Uh, the other three were named Storm, Whirlwind, and Leviathan. Um, Ooh. Jupiter, of course, was numbered 60, but when you see the locomotive and the beautiful Jupiter written on the side of the cabin tender, it, it's really all you can see. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, but again, this locomotive wasn't special to the company. Um, the, the four locomotives were built again, out of the Schenectady Locomotive Works in 1868, and they were disassembled and shipped around Cape Horn. Uh, so they were shipped wow. around South America to get up to Sacramento. So they, they shipped a train. Yes, they shipped the train. They did. Genius. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Smart so um, Jupiter was commissioned into service on March 20th of 1869. Now that's a very important day. Remember that. Um, uh, yes. Again, uh, Jupiter wasn't originally the engine that was supposed to be there, but it was supposed to be on site. The Jupiter's train was ahead of the train that was supposed to be you know, in the picture. Um, because it was carrying the sightseers. It was carrying the people that mm. were going to attend this ceremony. Mm. Um, so the, the President Stanford's special train was supposed to be pulled by a locomotive named Antelope, which... I don't personally know a lot about that locomotive other than it was the one that was supposed to be there. It was a, another stunningly gorgeous locomotive, <laughs> um, valued more than Jupiter to the company. Uh, so the Antelope's train was following Jupiter's on its way to the ceremony, which again was scheduled for May 8th, 1869. As they passed through a cut... Um, that was still being worked on. The workmen didn't notice the Jupiter's green flags. Now, when you see a train with the green flags during that time, it meant there's a train behind me. Now it, it means more of, I'm a scheduled train. Uh, so scheduled trains usually have oh. green marker lights. Mm -hmm. um, 
So they didn't notice that um, there there were green flags on Jupiter's front end, and so um, they they were cutting down trees or whatever, and a log rolled down the cut and severely damaged Antelope because its train was behind. Oh. So Jupiter ended up taking uh, the whole train on its own. So moving on to the 119, um, it was a part of a five-engine order numbered 116 through 120 from the Rogers Locomotive and Machine Works of Patterson, Patterson New Jersey, and uh, route to the ceremony, Union Pacific's Vice President Thomas Durant's train was stopped in Piedmont, Wyoming, which was very close to Utah and close to the ceremony. Now again, we're talking May 8th for the ceremony here. Okay. But didn't the ceremony happen May 10th? We'll see. Oh, dun, dun, crazy. Dun. Uh, so anyway, um, <gasps> there were around 400 laid off employees who demanded their pay for which they had waited three months for at this station. You're not getting So paid. his car was chained. Oh, dang. To the side end for two days. What? Until they got their pay. So he had um, telegraphed to get their pay, and it, wow. you know, they they had to wait two days. So that, that was that, kind of an embarrassing thing um, for the Union Pacific. And so that's why the ceremony was pushed back to May 10th. <laughs> so uh. while the train was delayed... The Weber River was, um, it hadn't flooded, but it was getting very high and the waters were raging. Um, and, and Durant's train had to cross the bridge, which was called Devil's Gate Bridge. Um, and, and it was raging so much so that some of the bridge supports were taken out by the water. Um, it was very unsafe and, and the locomotive driver didn't believe that the locomotive could go across the bridge but the passenger car could yes yeah, so let's just risk so, all the people um, that uh are disposable yeah, yeah exactly they the, really the vice did. president of the company well that, that's what they did though uh so they uncoupled and basically uh the locomotive gave the car a shove <laughs> across the bridge Oh my god, that's horrible. Like, were there yeah, passengers in it? Yeah, all the people it? were in it. Uh, so anyway, oh my it god. worked. Uh, they immediately wired a message to Ogden, Utah, where the five orders, or the five locomotives that were ordered by Union Pacific sat. Now, the 119 was on the track closest to the main line, so that was the locomotive that they chose to come pull the train. So, again, neither of these locomotives were important to the companies. Uh, and, and on the day of the Golden Spike II, I should mention on the ceremony, um, there were several failed attempts at driving the Spike. Uh, they did miss <laughs> they several times. Like Multiple people missed, <laughs> and they ended up getting a uh, just an unnamed worker to do it. Um, 
that's that's the part that like during the reenactment everyone sees everyone hears so to me that that's funny but it's not as much important because everybody knows that more than uh you know that they weren't even supposed to be there um so unfortunately both of these locomotives again were not seen special they were both renumbered both had a number of cosmetic as well as mechanical changes jupiter eventually received a new boiler um but Ooh. in the early 1900s both of them were scrapped each for a scrapper's fee of a thousand dollars um so they they again because they weren't seen as you know anything special the companies didn't care about them um so they were just another engine you'd think after that point they would think hey they were part of this monumental occasion let's make them special Also, it could be like a great advertising, you know, just like, hey, we have something that was there when the Transcontinental Railroad was founded. And people would, yeah, I would hop on um, it. The oldest, yeah. uh, it's not operational now, but operational as of, I think, 2015. Um, the oldest locomotive was the William Mason at the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Museum. Um that locomotive dates back to 1832. So um, there are examples of old oh. steam that survived that, that can be run and used. Um, By the way, uh, the, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, that's foreshadowing to my uh, the John Brown uh, episode. Two, two, now. Yeah. Foreshadowing. So if we, I'm going to go a little <laughs> bit out of linear here, and I'm going to skip ahead to 1975. Um, so the National Park Service commissioned um, the O'Connor Engineering Laboratories in Costa Mesa, California, to build replicas of these locomotives. Uh, what they planned on doing was um, rebuild the track, that where the spike was and and have reenactments every day of exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, every they day? do it every day. Hmm. I, I, yeah. Do they still do it? Uh, not not now during wow. the virus, I don't think. And and I don't know. I'm sure it's something seasonal. If it's just weekends or. Uh, but somewhere I read that it was every day that could be outdated or whatever. Um, do people get paid to do that? Like, just to drive a spike in? <laughs> or miss a few times and then drive a spike in? I don't know how many of the people that work there are paid. I'm sure that the the locomotive engineers and firemen are paid. Um, no. Because that's a lot of work. And it depends how they run the locomotives. If they were to um, drop the fire frequently, it takes hours and hours to build up steam pressure. So it 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 really what? depends on how much you know how they're running them, how much work. Uh, but the times of the reenactment, the locomotives are out for several hours. Um, and so it does require a ton of time. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, the O'Connor Engineering Laboratories, um, they spent two years just on creating drawings. Now, once we get to around wow. the early 1900s, there are mostly drawings of all the locomotives that were built and photographs of them. You know, uh, most locomotives, when they came out of the shops, they got what's called a roster photo. And it was a photo of really just the right side. And it kind of gave some statistics. Mm. But it was all a picture because, you know, I'd assume if I was a customer buying a steam locomotive, I would want to see what it looks like and, and know a little bit about it. Yeah. 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 They're, they are expensive. I'm sure they didn't so have good return the... policies. <laughs> no. Um, so they spent two years creating over 700 drawings. Uh, Jeez. And another two years of Why? building. So the building actually went fairly <sighs> fast for... For for what I've seen, comparatively. Um, well, I would hope so. They had seven hundred and, and drawings. And the dimensions of it. are accurate within a quarter of an inch. So so that that is wow. fairly yeah good for the for time, time that's really good. I I would say for now, I mean they they did have um, things like the cylinders have to be closer, things like that. The important parts have to be closer than that, but. You know, overall, really the only things that they had, they had an old engineer's handbook and they use micrometer scalings of enlarged photos from the time. I'm surprised they did so well if they were using enlarged photos. I agree. And they had hardly any. And I think what their saving grace was, um, was that they found, um, now... I saw this video of them building this. It was a while ago, so I could be wrong on this one. But I believe they found um, a diagram of the Union Pacific 119's boiler. And so mm. what that allowed them to do was, you know, of course, they still needed to go through more drawings and, and, and all of that. But it allowed them to kind of know... A little bit more and and a boiler drawing is a very important drawing it's not like a bearing drawing uh, yeah. so I think that that is of course very important um, and and uh, things didn't stop after they were built you know with history more new things come out all the time um, and so uh, Somehow, the March 20th issue of the Sacramento Bee turned up. So, uh, the Jupiter locomotive um, was determined to be an obsolete uh, paint scheme. They did find out from the Sacramento Bee that the locomotive was supposed to be blue, crimson, and gold. So, they did end up repainting it. But, of course, um, it's all just a, an educated guess. We don't know exactly if that is what it really was. Um, but uh, many famous people helped out Ward Kimball. Um, 
So going back to um, the effects of the railroad, um, so I kind of put this into 10 points here, um, oh. guided by a great um, website page on history.com. Really summarized it very well. So um, it made the Western U.S. more important. Of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. It made commerce possible on a vast scale. Mm -hmm. It made travel more affordable. It changed where Americans lived. Um, it altered Americans' concept of reality. <laughs> I, I, I really like that one because it's kind of totally random. But so, like, as in, like, the Matrix reality, <laughs> like. Whoa. I was thinking more like the ability to go places, but yeah, same thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, and this was a great quote from them. It helped create the Victorian version of Amazon. Uh, Interesting. And that just meant the, the first mail order catalog business. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was kind of the first thing that took a real, real heavy toll on the environment. Yeah, um, it certainly did ruin the environment. Uh, I briefly mentioned it before, but this caused a lot of racial conflict um, because we had a lot of immigrants that were come in to build the railroad, uh, of course, because yeah. they would be able to be hired with cheaper wages, etc. Uh, it pioneered government-financed capitalism. Mm. Um and it instilled national confidence, which is kind of, you know, just what it is. Uh, I wanted to boost that with a couple things. So uh, Jack helped me with this earlier because I have trouble finding a um, an inflation calculator that dated back to 1869. Um, to travel by land or sea, it would cost around $1,000 for the six-month journey. Um, which we estimated to be around $19,000 in 2020. Yeah. Uh, and the railroad took that $1,000 and brought it down to $150, which is almost but not quite $3,000. Wow. Um, yeah. So I kind of wanted to open up the alternate history because I think uh, I could just sit here and explain what I think would happen, but I think it would be more interesting to hear what you guys think based on that. Um, so what do you think? All right. So here's what I'm thinking. The You know how like there, there's a whole racial discrimination part is because after the end of the construction, they expected the Chinese people to then leave, you know, the country. So say it wasn't completed i would i would think that since there's that lack of success uh you know they would allow the chinese just to settle like they would usually have i mean there would still be discrimination but there wouldn't be this a, a expectation for them to get out out of here you know yeah uh so uh and and williams i'll get to you in a second with what you think um I think something that is important to consider is the land. 
Um, yeah. The railroads kind of controlled where people ended up settling. Um, it, it was not as much of, oh, here's a river we can settle because we can travel. It's yeah. wherever the railroads sort of set up their, uh, you know, they'd, they'd set up an engine house and a facility. Um, wherever they set that up is kind of where things started sprouting. And the railroad had all this land to either use on their own or they could sell it. I do yeah. like so. So, of course, there's a lot of property of uh, or a lot of profit selling off that property. Yeah. And plus, without the con Transcontinental Railroad, there wouldn't be a connection, like a, a fast connection between the capital and the rest of the country that's miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. You know. Well, I think without the Transcontinental Railroad, we would. I think, well, cowboys would definitely still have business, at least for a while, because it was really all those railroads that started to shut that down, and uh, that made it into an industrial-style cattle uh, procedure, and I think that was mirrored throughout a lot of industries uh, throughout the country, and with like big business, uh, Carnegie, steel pants, moving coal and iron ore around the railroads were instrumental in making that happen so without the transcontinental railroad being finished when it was we would be behind the game in uh our industrialization for sure yeah uh and and another thing uh on that point is this i think uh and of course i could be wrong but I, I really believe strongly that um, uh, the railroads also uh, r uh, really made Indian removal a lot faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Union Pacific building uh, westward encountered a lot of tribes yeah. and, and had a lot of issues um, with them. Going through, Especially going through their land, etc. Um, so I think that that really pushed that. And when we get into the Trail of Tears and things like that, because remember, they they were building before 1869. It just wasn't finished until 1869. Um, also, like the the they killed a lot of bison, which is you know one of the one of the main food sources for the the Plains Indians. And, you know, th they were basically told to make them go extinct to drive the Indians out and just to get them out of the way for the trains. Yep. So, you know, the devastation on nature would <laughs> definitely decrease. If... So, uh, here's the... the um... What makes this whole thing insignificant? Yes, mm. we wouldn't have had all those things. But by the mid-1860s, a second transcontinental railroad was already being planned. Mm. So it, it, it would just be postponed. 
like everything would just be like a few years behind yes. where it was. So so what if I told you that um essentially what it did was it cut through the um the the bad parts, the parts that took so long and were so windy. And and instead of paying $150 for a ticket in 1869 by 1887 you could buy a ticket that cost $25. Yeah. Jeez. So much less. So so I personally think that um you know, we wouldn't have maybe had all the things that that came out of it. Uh westward expansion for sure would not have moved as quickly. Um yeah. I don't think that um I don't think that things would be a lot different. Uh, yeah, so so they were under, and I really, in my research, just barely scraped the surface of this, but they were also under the Pacific Rail Act. So mm. um, really, by, by 1900, there was a much faster, quicker route, and these tracks were torn right up. So... Um, there, there is hardly any trackage hmm. of the first transcontinental railroad that that really? the right of way was built upon. Uh, a lot of it is a road now. That's funny. Uh, it's a transcontinental road. Yeah, like there, there's a sign um, in, in one of the places that I think it. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was like April twenty eighth. Um. And it says ten miles of track laid on this day, uh, because that was a that was a milestone for them laying ten miles of track uh, in one day. A lot of track. But uh, yeah, I I really I don't think that we would have uh, we we certainly wouldn't have a national park dedicated to it. Uh, yeah. And it would have been two railroads that we would learn about, two separate railroads, not the ones that we uh, did learn about. And, of course, Union Pacific now is still a large, very, very large railroad company. Um, so they, they ended up uh, monopolizing a ton of trackage. I think a lot of the significance of of the first transcontinental railroad was that it was the first. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So sure. like the second, so the second <laughs> one would be praised just the same, but it, it was just it just happened to be, you know, <laughs> what happened. Yeah, and think about think about if if now I don't really know the date because um the the second transcontinental railroad well i'm sure there's plenty of information on it it's not as readily available the information isn't you know requires much yeah. more digging but think about if it was even um 15 or 20 years later maybe they would have kept the locomotives maybe there would have That's not true. even been a ceremony um mm. Yeah, who knows? But but I, I I just wanted to throw that in there because I think that really takes the significance of what if there wasn't one completely out of the question. Well, yeah. Um, it would just plus, we got cars and planes and. Yep. 
other things. Yeah. When did planes? The Wright brothers. When? Uh, whenever that was. Yeah, uh, was, I think it was. It was, World it War. was early. Nineteen oh three. Nineteen oh three. Yeah. So anyway, our I thought, uh, you know, we could do a sort of a downer for our first episode. There's not really, oh. not really much of an alternate history there. So, um, in the coming two episodes, hopefully there will be more excitement in that front. Mine is exciting. Um, so thank you all for tuning in and making it through all the way and we will see you in the next episode goodbye au revoir